0: I think that we've seen a lot of positives come out of this where more people are seeking help and because we all had to go virtual for almost a year people are realizing that therapy is super accessible and so we can be in our house in our car I've had people I've actually had somebody at Disney that just got out of line and went away from everybody and was able to do a session there because they were having some anxiety issues So it is very cool to see that we can truly do this anywhere. And I love that.
1: Welcome to the Voyage Dallas podcast, where we interview some of the brightest and most interesting entrepreneurs, artists, and creatives from in and around the Dallas-Fort Worth area and ask them about their lives, careers, and the values and principles that drive them. I'm Alex Freeman, and on the show today, you'll meet Holly Lockett, owner and clinician at Frisco Counseling and Wellness, where she specializes in trauma, attachment disorders, and grief. Holly's also a Voyage content partner. Content partners help Voyage in so many ways, from spreading the word about the work that we do, sponsoring our mission, and collaborating with us on content like this. In our conversation, Holly and I not only discuss how therapy has changed since the COVID-19 pandemic but how there has been a broader cultural shift in our understanding of therapy and its importance. I was particularly struck by her discussing how the younger generations are not only open to therapy, but regularly conversing with each other with the things they're learning from their therapists. The whole conversation was not only a great reminder of how powerful therapy can be, but that all of us should be seeking out the same kind of help for our mental health as we do for our physical health. Now, the conversation with Holly. Holly, thank you so much for joining us on the the show.
0: Well, I'm happy to be here.
1: To get things started, can you just tell us a little bit about your work?
0: So my work is never boring. Um, I am a therapist in Frisco. I own a a private practice there where we've got uh, 12 counselors, we've got some life coaches, and then we have a psychiatrist on staff. And so we're super busy. We see a lot of really heavy things every day and just grateful that we can serve the community.
1: And what is your uh, special, your specialization?
0: So I specialize in um, traumatic grief, trauma and attachment disorders. The easy stuff, you know.
1: Yes, certainly. Uh, What, what kind of led you down that path to, to those being your specializations?
0: Every job I've ever had has been working with really hurting human beings. So I've just, it's fallen into my lap really And then um, in 2007, I lost my brother unexpectedly. And I saw what the impact of that did to my family and my niece and just how we don't handle grief well in this country at all. And I really wanted to try to change that. And then the adoption piece, I am adopted. And so I kind of know what that's like to have some attachment issues and all of the confusion and questions that go with that. And so both both things are very close to my heart because I understand both of them pretty well.
1: One of the things you you mentioned is uh, how you have sort of felt like that you simultaneously through life experience fell into it, but also how they, uh, all the jobs that you've maybe have had, it has felt like you've been filling this role. Can you talk a little bit more about that?
0: I got an internship in undergrad at a police department working with um, abused children and kids who had been uh, cited for their first juvenile offense. So that's where it started. And then um, right after graduate school, or I mean, right after undergraduate school, I got a job at that police department kind of doing the same thing. And then I got to work for drug court. And then we moved to Dallas and I worked um, in the court system for Dallas County. And I got to work with um, domestic violence, drug court there as well, and then organized crime. And then after I lost my brother, I made a career shift to something that was, was still working with really hurting people just in a different fashion.
1: Yeah, that uh, is an incredible amount of uh, pain to yes. to be dealing with and working through on a, on a daily basis. And so I guess that, that my, my biggest question right out of the, the gate from that is how do you protect yourself uh, from, from reliving uh, some of your own grief and trauma? as you work with clients uh, and yet yet remain fully present with them?
0: So I'm going to answer that in a couple different parts. The part where I have my own grief and trauma, I've done a lot of work and I continue to do a lot of work just on myself. I tell all my interns and anybody who's coming into our field that no matter what has happened to you, it's going to show up across from you. So Hmm. someone's going to come into your office and they're going to have a similar story or someone's going to come into your office and just really pull on your heartstrings. And if we haven't done our work, we're not good for anybody else. So I think that that's number one. And then having really good emotional boundaries around things. I really try to remember that I see a lot of people every day, and I can't bring in the person before them's issues into their session or the sessions afterwards, because then I'm not being present and 100% into what they're saying.
1: Emotional boundaries seem to be uh, one of those things that many, many people have difficulty setting. Could you give any kind of uh, overview or advice? And maybe, maybe the advice is just you know uh, seek out a therapist to help you set these emotional boundaries. Um, of just how do you navigate doing that? Because uh, I know that certainly guilt can start to attach in a lot of those situations where where folks are you know. I feel guilty leaving this behind so to speak can you just kind of speak to to ways to to deal with setting those boundaries
0: so i think first and foremost to your earlier point that everybody needs to have a therapist therapists need to have therapists we have to have somebody that we can talk to about all of these issues and just how they affect us and then we also have to remember that as long as we're present and we're doing the very best we can with the skills that we have, that that's all we can do in that forty-five or ninety-minute time slot, and we just keep trying to do better with everybody that comes in front of us and with all of those clients every time we see them.
1: Shifting gears just a little bit, and and not even too much, because I think that you know your work certainly must have changed directly based on the COVID nineteen pandemic. But then also, I think um, I'm curious if it changed culturally. As I feel, you know a as I read various different articles and things, talking about how America and the world is dealing with a, a collective grieving of the pan- from the pandemic. I'm going to open it up, and I'm sure I'll have follow-up questions, I'm sure there's plenty to say, about how your work has changed in light of the pandemic.
0: So I'm going to start with the positives. I think that we've seen a lot of positives come out of this, where more people are seeking help. And because we all had to go virtual for... Uh, almost a year people are realizing that therapy is super accessible and so we can be in our house in our car i've had people i've actually had somebody at disney that just got out of line and went away from everybody and was able to do a session there because they were having some anxiety issues so it is very cool to see that we can truly do this anywhere and i love that the other piece is with online work it's not as scary you know, walking into somebody's office for the first time, having never met them and having to spill out your guts out in their territory is very difficult. And so when you can be in the comfort of your own home, I think it's much easier for people. So those are and, and I think we've also seen a lot of people coming together, and families sitting down and having meals together again, and talking to their children, because we had everything canceled, you know, so we have a whole lot of time to be together. Now that said, let's talk about the negative pieces of that. We are seeing a lot of issues within marriages because this is the time that we have spent the most with our spouses or with our children. Um, there's a lot of grieving because everywhere you look is death and destruction and terrible. And we just have not had good things on the news in the last couple years. And it really is taking a toll on everybody, but I'm seeing it take a huge toll on kids, kids and teenagers, because that's the time where you're supposed to be innocent and looking at the world, like it's you endless possibilities. And now there's just a lot of fear.
1: So with the shift to digital, what has that done to, to your workday? I mean, are you what's the blend of clients in person and clients online? And, and how does that play out?
0: Well, I try to structure my days where like Wednesday, for example, most of my people are online. So I work from home on Wednesdays. Other than that, it's definitely um, a mix. And it's, it's, it's better because I can be more flexible and it's harder because I can be more flexible. So if there's a crisis and I'm you know making dinner, I can hurry up and finish and I can get on, on a call with that client versus when I was in my car, we could maybe just do a phone session. Um, but then it's harder to have those professional boundaries because especially when everything was shut down, everyone knows that we're home. And so there was more expected out of us from our clients and I think we showed up more because we knew how terrified and hurting people were. But then, you know, then we have blurred boundaries where we think that we can do that all the time and it's difficult.
1: Um, I, 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 I'm going to post the work-life balance question here of of how, how you, how, how are you working through striking that? And then I will want to come back to, I have a few more questions about the difference between in-person and digital, but I, I think we're, we're at a good spot for a work-life balance question (laughs) of, of how do you set those boundaries?
0: Well, I am super lucky that I was able to, um, create a home gym during COVID. And so I can work out a lot. So if I have breaks or if I have a cancellation, I can turn around and I can jump on my bike or my treadmill, and to me, running is therapy for me. It helps me clear my head. It helps me just make sense of things. So the more that I can do that, the better. Um, and then it's you know spending time with my kids and with my friends and doing virtual you know happy hours and things like that to stay connected with the people that I really care about.
1: I th- I think that's great advice. Uh, and so coming back to the the difference between a digital session and an in-person session, the hypothetical person I'm going to pose for you is someone who is perhaps intimidated to come into the office, Mm -hmm. uh, but might be concerned that they're not going to get the same benefit from digital for whatever reason. How would you speak to that type of individual?
0: Well, so with those individuals, I try to encourage them to, to do whatever makes them feel the most comfortable. Nothing is super comfortable, but if they decide, well, you know, let me, let me try to just do this online thing, I walk them through the whole entire process. I let them know that they can be wherever they want to in their house, that they can have a blanket, that they can have their dog on their lap, that whatever makes them the most comfortable is, is truly what we want to set first. And then the first session is really about rapport building and showing people like you know we i am still a human on the other side of the screen and so are you and we can really still talk some big feelings not being in person and a lot of people really truly love it
1: and you you've described before how your how your team can can help anyone and when, when you described the the practice you know that it does seem like you have a pretty broad range of mm-hmm. uh, of specializations and skills can you make the case for the benefits of therapy for anyone
0: Well, I think just like we go to the doctor for checkups, and we get our oil changed, and we do things to take care of ourselves in other ways. Why not give ourselves the gift of being able to have a sounding board to walk into someone's office or log on and talk about whatever is happening, because everybody's going through something right now. And everybody's gone through something, especially in the last two years. So why carry that with you? Why not have somebody that can just take it, take that on, help you make sense of things, and then you go on with the rest of your day. And like I said earlier, even therapists need therapists. I truly believe that everybody needs to have a therapist because why not have that one person who one is your advocate, but also is super unbiased to tell you the
1: truth. Yeah, I think that's uh, a good question as well. You know, I think somebody might listen listen to that and say, "Well, I have a sounding board. It's my friend, so and so. Why why should it be a professional uh, therapist as opposed to uh, your friend?"
0: Because even if I really like my clients, it's my duty to them to let them know if they're doing something wrong, or especially in relationship issues, we go tell our friends or our family, and one, they look at our partners differently from that point on. And they're going to tell you what they want, what you want to hear because they love you so much. And like I said, like I can, I really like all of my clients, but I'm going to tell them their role and responsibility in different relationships or different situations. And I don't think friends do that all the time. I think we have some friends that do, but not, not everybody.
1: In uh, an earlier conversation that you and I had, you talked about about binging things on Netflix, and I'm also a Netflix (laughs) binger. Um, And one thing that struck me is like going back to TV shows, not even not even going as far back as the 90s, but TV shows in the early 2000s, like jokes about therapy and going to therapy uh, used to be to be abounded. And and there was like a, a stigma attached to going to therapy that It seems like it's culturally shifted in the past few years. Um, Can you talk about that kind of cultural shift and if if it is actually happening where there's less and less stigma attached to therapy?
0: So I will give you a story that I think is hysterical. Last week, I was talking to one of my teenage clients and we were actually online and she was talking about how she was missing class because she was in her car to come and talk to me and that one of her friends asked what she was about to do. And she's like, oh, I'm gonna go talk to my therapist in my car. And her friend goes, well, who are you seeing? Because I'm seeing this person. And then somebody else popped up. <laughs> was like, oh, you go there? Oh my gosh, I know that person. And they just had a whole conversation about like how everybody's doing this now. So I think that we're seeing a new generation of kids, teenagers, college students, young adults that really want to have somebody that just has their back that wants to talk through things that will admit what's happening. And then at the same time, you know, sometimes I have to rein them back in and go, okay, well, so not everything is generalized anxiety disorder. Not everything <laughs> is a panic disorder. Not everything is depression. Like sometimes we just have bad days and here's like when it's normal to worry and, you know, things like that, because they're so open to it that they, they tend to go a little bit far sometimes too, which I would much rather have that than the other.
1: That's so interesting. Yeah, of, of having that, uh, the the opposite problem of what we're, we're, we see in older generations.
0: Yes, it's to see, and I work with all age ranges. So I'll see the older generation come in, and they're like, fidgeting in the lobby, or they're, they really like to be online, too, because then nobody's going to see them. And then mm. I have my other ones that are like, hey, so so and so is in my car, do you care? And I'm like, well, there's this HIPAA thing, yeah, your friends can't come to therapy with you. And so the extreme difference is it's really fun to see. And I th- think it's just going to keep getting better.
1: That that younger, that teenage, the teenagers right now, they're just so cool. Um, oh
0: my gosh. They, I have a 16 year old and he is the coolest kid and his friends are amazing. And then I also have a 23 year old and even just seeing the difference between them where my older one, they, they were much more open to therapy for sure, but not like the 16 year old and all of his friends and how they are so open and honest about how they're feeling and what they're going through that. I love it. I mean, I love to, and not that I eavesdrop on their conversations, but they're in my house a lot. So I'll hear what they're talking about. And it just is, I get so excited to hear that they're so honest.
1: Yeah. That's, that's so, so cool. And I think that that's, that's an interesting, um, yeah, that microgenerational divide, too, between your 23-year-old and your 16-year-old. And so I guess that, that brings me to the question of, you know, if, if it's a teenager that you, you might see this, and it's probably not going to be a problem, they'll probably want to go to therapy themselves. Um, but do you have any advice for someone who sees a friend or family member that's in pain that might be uh, resistant to therapy and how maybe to start that conversation with them?
0: So I think that the very best way to encourage anyone is to lead by example. So talking about a time that you were struggling, that you went to therapy or that you wish you would have gone to therapy because it would, you wouldn't have suffered as long, you know, really personalizing it and making it so that you, the other person doesn't think that they're crazy, that they just need to have an extra resource. And it's very hard for us to see people that we care about in pain. And so I think that a lot of times we will almost get irritable with that person because you want them to get better so badly, but they're not. And so to just take that step back and realize, one, they have to do it in their own time and that all we can do is really encourage and lead by example.
1: What holds you back in your life?
0: Myself. <laughs> 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 I probably should have a good like, therapisty answer for that. But the truth is myself. I mean, we're all human and there are definitely days where I mean, I know that I'm good at my job, but I doubt myself. And there's cases that I have that are really extreme. And I wonder if I'm you know, giving them everything that they need from me or from a therapist. And at the same time, I'm kind of glad that I get in my own way, because I also think that when we start to think we know everything, and when we have an ego in this field, that we need to be done, because we have to continue to be learning and evolving with our clients.
1: Oh wow, that's okay. So that's really interesting because this—I mean, this is going to speak out of my own. Uh, I've done some therapy in my life. I have not done nearly enough. I don't currently have a therapist. I should fix that. Um, well, you should
0: know a lot of really good people. If you want recommendations, let me know.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, hundred um, percent. And and so just that concept of being okay with not having all of the answers when mm-hmm. uh, it feels like someone might go to therapy to get an answer and and having to find that answer. And so that's an interesting position to to find yourself in of like, okay, do I need to have all the answers? Well, no, but I feel like I should. Right. Wow. And be okay, okay with
0: silence. That's the other mm. big thing too. I think that especially newer therapists think that they have to fill those gaps. And sometimes we just have to be okay with the silence and let the person across from us process. And we don't have to have every answer to fix everything in that moment, you are a team and we do it together through time.
1: Wow. Yeah. That's, that's a powerful, yeah. Silence is definitely something that uh, societally, I think we fear quite a bit, Mm -hmm. not just in those, in those moments.
0: Yeah. Because then you're vulnerable. And -hmm. I think it's a whole different kind of vulnerability that we don't talk about.
1: Sitting in those silences. Do you find that that's a a skill that that you have learned? Or is that something like an an innate ability that you've kind of always had?
0: For me personally, it's something that I have had to learn and work on through the years, because I want to fix so badly. And I want people to feel better quickly. And so I always wanted to have the solution and the answer. And as you can tell, I talk a lot And so at first, silence was just uncomfortable for me in general, because you're just sitting there staring at each other. But then I would watch people think, you know how you can just see the wheels turning in somebody's head, or you see the light bulb go off. And I realized that me taking that step back and allowing them to process was truly the most like, wonderful gift I could give them was just to let them think about it on their own.
1: And then what motivates you every day?
0: Watching people heal. Because I work with some really tough cases, when people walk through my door, it's at the worst point of their life. Nobody comes to just, you know, say hi to me. And so when I get to watch them go from that worst point to not needing me anymore, you know, I always joke with my clients, like the best compliment I can get is when you fire me because it's it's true. You know, I'm never going anywhere and people can come back in whenever they need me to or when they need to and I'm there but when you don't need me regularly it truly is the best compliment that I can get
1: that's really really powerful this whole conversation has been really powerful <laughs> thank well, you good, I'm
0: glad. good
1: yeah that's yes, yeah absolutely. Holly thank you so much for joining us on the on the show today
0: definitely it was great to be here
1: um I, I just want to give you also a chance to where can people find you if they want want more information
0: So we are online at com. We are on Instagram at Frisco Counseling and Wellness. And then we're on Facebook at Frisco Counseling and Wellness. So pretty, pretty easy to find us. You can Google us and all of our stuff will pop up.